And I want to talk a little bit this morning about what that change looks like in our life. Uh, Last week, I spoke of the need to give each other uh, some freedom and some latitude when it comes to our opinions or our perspectives on, let's say, the political issues of our day. And I am thankful that after last Sunday's conversation, most of you were willing to come back. You extended me some grace and some latitude last Sunday. This morning, as we continue to consider the theme of change, I want to ask what that change is to look like in my life. And whether it's supposed to look the same in yours. From my reading of the New Testament, and especially the letters of Paul, to me there seems to be such a strong message that there is a unity, there is a common bond, There is a likeness and a oneness that we celebrate as children of God. We celebrate it as children of God and we celebrate it within the context of his church. And I'm going to start by reading four passages that talk about that unity, that likeness, that oneness that we are called to share, Philippians 2 verse 2. And Paul says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, and of one mind. 2 Corinthians 13.11 Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice, strive for full restoration, encourage one another, be of one mind, and live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Romans 15, 6. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ had. So that with one mind, one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you, I like that, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate, and be humble. These passages I want to say this morning, all of them call us to, I'm going to say, conformity. That in the same way that we are cautioned not to be conformed to the image of this world, we are encouraged to conform to the example and the image of Jesus. Two of those passages that I just read started with the word, finally. Where Paul and Peter say, you know what, after all I've just said or after all I've just written, here's what you need to take away. And it's a message of being of one mind as a family of God. In all these passages, the language of change, what change is to look like in our lives as children of God, is not sin-focused. It is attitude-focused. I think it's character 
focused. And I think that that is a critical distinction when we talk about what change is to look like in our lives. And when we talk about change and what it means to be of the same mind, the conversation is not so much about sin. It's about our character and our attitude before God. The church, I think, is at times guilty of talking about change in sin language. And I think we run the risk, even within the church, of preaching guilt and judgment into the church. And I want to say guilt and judgment can easily lead to discouragement or self-righteousness. Discouragement says, you know what, I'm not good enough, I'll never be good enough. Self-righteousness says, I think I might be. I want to say both discouragement and self-righteousness are not byproducts of the gift of salvation. That salvation speaks to freedom, forgiveness, and I want to say the refreshing reality of new life in Christ. If we use a sin gauge to measure how we are being changed, we will likely tend to highlight, I'm going to say, isolated behaviors. If instead we focus on our attitude before God and our character, we are focusing on who we are. You may ask, are we not called to live lives of purity And lives of holiness, and I say we absolutely are, but the struggle with sin is an ongoing battle. And I want to say anyone, any Christian leader who implies that he or she no longer struggles with that foe, any program that promises a formula by which to defeat this foe is fooling itself and misleading people. Our boasting, Paul says, is never about our victory over sin. Our boasting is always and only in the victory of the cross of Jesus Christ on our behalf. The Pharisees were big fans of the sin gauge. And they were very mindful of the to-dos and the not-to-dos. Yet Jesus saw their righteousness as a facade. And he referred to them not as holy men, but as hypocrites. Whitewashed walls covering up what I would say glaring weakness of the heart, glaring weaknesses of character. Paul and Peter, when addressing what change looks like, seem to frame that to me. Not in throwing sin back in our face, but asking us to think about the attitude of our heart before God and ask, how is God changing the character of who I am? And that as children of God, I believe at the very heart of who we are, there is to be a likeness. Something similar about us. 
a conformity that I want to say transcends personality differences, crosses boundaries of race, nationality, or gender. This oneness or like-mindedness is a clear statement, I believe, about how we are to conduct our lives, how we carry ourselves as children of God, how we view ourselves, how we relate to each other within the church. And in all these areas, I believe the Bible said there is meant to be something the same about the children of God. And I want to say it's a spiritual likeness. That the Spirit of God is in the process of conforming each one of us into the very image of Jesus Christ. Our like-mindedness actually, I believe, begins with how we come to faith in the first place. 1 John 1, verse 8 and 9 says that if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves, not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just. Jesus has the authority to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's a message we need to preach into the church. John 3.16, we know it, for God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. These passages, I believe, call us to humbly acknowledge that what the Bible says about God that what the Bible says about Jesus and what the Bible says about me is true. And these passages call all of us, I believe, to that personal response to that truth. And so in a way, we all come to God in a similar way. I think our circumstances may be vastly different from where God actually grabbed hold of us and spoke this truth into our lives, but we come to God in a similar way through confession, through repentance, through an expression of our faith in Jesus Christ. The Bible doesn't seem to offer different options. This confession of faith moves us from living apart or estranged from God to being welcomed as his child and entering his family, which is what we are this morning. We are the family of God. And as family members, you know, we now hold certain things in common. As family members, there are things that we share within the kingdom of God and within the church. Ephesians 4, verse 4 to 6, talks about this oneness. It's probably the most oneness-focused passage in the New Testament, for there is one body. I think that's amazing, spread around the globe. It's one body and one spirit. 
just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There was one Lord, there is one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. These truths now unite us. These truths reflect what we believe as children of God. We sometimes may call them our doctrine or our statement or confession of faith. But they are born from a personal response of our heart before God. And they speak to newness of life. A.W. Tozer said this. It's, it's somewhat harsh, but it talks about what draws us together in the family of God is not so much doctrine, although we share that. It is newness of life in Jesus. He said 100 religious persons knit into a unity by careful organizations do not constitute a church any more than 11 dead men make a football team. The first requisite is life, always. We don't make ourselves right with God by signing off on doctrinal statements. We come to God as a response of our heart and our mind to God's offer of the good news. And God in return says to us, we share all these things in common. One faith, one baptism, one Lord, one Savior, one God, one glorious hope. Mr. DeHaan, who many of you might know, he's the, uh, the fellow that began our daily bread. He said this. Again, it's uh, somewhat harsh, but it, I think, gets to the point. God cares nothing about our man-made divisions and groups. He's not interested in our self-righteous hair-splitting and religious man-made formulas and organizations. God wants you to recognize the unity of the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, that passage I read, highlights this spiritual unity that when we talk about change in our lives, this morning I want to say we are talking about how these things that we hold in common are evidenced in how we live. That the unity of what we believe is also a call to unity in how we live it out. Our faith and our lives need to express this unity. Leave out the life part and you will end up with dead doctrine and empty religion. And it's interesting, the verses that come just before those that talk about everything we share as a family of God, as the body of Christ, these three verses came just before that, but I think they are just as beautiful if you read them after. And it talks about those things we hold in common, how is that supposed to look in our life? Verse 1 to 3, therefore I, as Paul says, beg you, to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. 
What does that look like? Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. If you were to circle, highlight whatever you do in your Bible or in your notes, you look at those descriptors, God is saying, that's what change looks in the life of a child of God. Paul in Philippians echoed the same truth. He says, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Is there any comfort from his love? The answer to all these questions is yes. Paul, they're kind of rhetorical questions that Paul is asking. Is there any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. I want to say that I believe since September in Creekside Church, this encouragement to take an interest in others has grown dramatically within the family of God here in Creekside in so many different ways. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. We're going to celebrate that truth in a new way again this Christmas. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. While the last half of this passage focuses on Jesus, the message of that entire package, passage is that you and I are called to conform to that image. And the most significant attribute that I believe Paul highlights in Philippians chapter 2 is that of humility. Every one of us. I want to say it is to be a trademark of how we live as children of God. In Galatians, after reminding Christians of their former way of living, Paul says this, and it's a verse that's so often repeated, but I think there is such incredible truth and power in it. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. This verse is the evidence of the work of the Spirit of God in your life and in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
It's not an exhaustive list. There are other places in the New Testament where the fruits of the Spirit will highlight other things as well. I love the way Paul ends that verse. He says, there is no law against these things. We can indulge in this way of thinking and this way of living to our heart's content. And I want to say this morning that the more the Spirit of God moves us in this direction, the more we will actually experience a contented heart before God. These attributes bear evidence of our newness of life. They are evidence of the working of the Spirit of God in you and in me and in his church. And I think we need to look closely at them. We're supposed to be patient people, kind people, faithful people, gentle people, people of self-control. And our character as children of God needs to be moving us in this direction. I'm not free as a Christian to say, well, Doug, you know what? I'm kind of a spontaneous, opinionated, impatient, brash, shoot-from-the-hip kind of guy. That's how God wired me. I think the Bible would seem to indicate that those traits speak to a former way of thinking They may be those things in my life that God, through his spirit, is seeking to transform, to change. When I look at that list, and if you want to put that verse back up about the fruits of the spirit, then you can just leave it there for a while. These fruits, these attributes may not sound or look glamorous. You might say they're not manly. They seem a bit soft. They aren't the signs of masculinity our culture often idealizes. But I want to challenge every one of us, and perhaps especially us as men, to think of those within the context of your home. Think of those attributes in the context of your marriage. Think of those attributes in the, con- in the context of raising your children. What it means to be a dad or a husband. I want to say they have the power to completely change homes, marriages, families. Kindness in your home. Gentleness in your home, patience, self-control in your home. In the church, we have been given different personalities. That's absolutely true, and I think that's a good thing. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, gifts us within his church in different ways in order to build up and encourage the church. 
But the fruit of the Spirit of God in our lives is not for a select few. It is for every one of us. It's what God, through his Spirit, calls us to. And the New Testament says, the more we move in this direction, the more we acknowledge and submit to the Spirit of God in our lives, it says our lives will become a sweet fragrance before God. We will give off a sweet fragrance within the church. And I want to say, every Sunday morning as we gather as children of God, I believe there's a sweet fragrance within this place that is evidence of the Spirit of God in our lives and in his church. And the Bible says that that sweet fragrance has the potential to cause others to consider the gospel of Jesus Christ because of the sweet aroma that God, through his spirit, is working in our lives. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and by those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of death and doom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, what is honorable, what is right, what is pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. That sweet aroma the Bible refers to is the sweet aroma of the Spirit of God in our life. And the Bible says the world around us needs that. It's also true that to others in our culture, that same aroma will be seen as offensive, as irritating. But as I've said before, and the quote came from a book, and right now I can't remember who wrote it, that it's the offensive aspect of the gospel that has the power to change lives. The world needs to see these family traits in us as God's children. The world around us as we leave on a Sunday morning and head into our week needs to see in us humility, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As I close, I just want to say we have been given, as children of God, such a high calling and at the same time, such a humble calling. And we need to embrace both of them. We need to celebrate that we are children of the Most High God. And we need to be willing to live that and walk that in humility. If last week was an encouragement to embrace Differences of opinion on the issues of the day. I want to say that message pales in comparison 
to our call as a church to live out the unity, the oneness, the common bond of faith that we share as God's people. That in spite of our sin, which Jesus has covered, God through his spirit is transforming our attitudes. In spite of our sin, which Jesus has covered, God is molding our character. In spite of our sin, which has been covered by the cross of Christ, God desires to use us within his kingdom. I want to close with Philippians 1 verse 27. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a worthy manner of the good news about Christ. And then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the clarity that we find in the Word of God. And Father, I believe there's such a clear call for us as children of God to be humble, like-minded people. I pray, God, that as a church, that we would be a sweet fragrance to those around us. Father, I pray for us to consider, to reflect on, to ask for the work of the Spirit of God in our lives. Because, Father, it has the power to change our homes, our families, our marriages. And Father, I pray that we would live in unity. That, Father, you would protect the unity and oneness of the church gathered here in Lake Country we call Creekside. Father, help us to continue to be willing to speak into one another's lives, to encourage one another, to think of others and not just ourselves. It's such practical encouragement that the Spirit of God speaks and whispers into our lives. Father, help us to listen to that voice, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.